Tonight we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to finish the book up tonight and finally get to, I think, one of the main things that Paul wanted to discuss with this church. So we'll pray and uh, while you're turning there and we'll, we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for um, the children's ministry and all the people that are back there pouring their hearts and your word into our kids. We pray you bless them. We pray for this room as well. We pray that you'd Bless us with your word, that we'd understand it and receive it with gladness, that it would change us from the inside out as Paul discusses five really important topics, just basic Christianity. And um, it's so important for us to be reminded of these things, Lord. And so I pray that our hearts would be touched in a new way, um, bring us back to a place that we need to be if we've moved on from where you've had us. Um, put us where you want us, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always important to come to God's Word that way, prepared and ready to receive what He has for you. Um, whether that's in your quiet time or whether that's in a moment like this. Um, because a lot of these things, uh, these are verses that we've memorized, verses that we've had on post-it notes on our mirrors. Um, we may even have them on a plaque on our ho- in our house. And those can almost numb us to the Holy Spirit wanting to drive that home in our hearts. And so it's I always caution myself. I'm in a tough position. I read this stuff a lot. I teach this stuff a lot. And it's easy for me to teach it like a teacher as opposed to understand it like a student. And um, so even as I go through this, I was corrected and brought back to the center of the path that God wants me on. It's funny how you can kind of veer, you know. You don't even know it's happening. And all of a sudden you hear that rumble strip on the right side. "Ah, (laughs) Need to get back over and this has got a lot of those. So there's five specific things that God um, covers in this, and, uh, and uh, we'll grab those as we go through. Verse, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. And of course, that whole verse goes along with everything we've read so far, and I'm not going to go over everything, but when he says, therefore, because of everything I've said, Paul says, remember your beloved, he says it twice in one sentence, remember your beloved of God, and that does soften us, which is what has to happen. For me to receive the word of God, the soil of my heart has to be plowed up, and the way God plows up the soil of our hearts is with love, and that's how our word, when we're ministering to somebody else, that's how your word to them, God's word through you, gets into their heart and it's planted in good soil if it's plowed with love. We want to share the truth. That's very important. But you can't scatter seed on hard, packed ground. It's got to be tilled up with your love first. Very important. I think we have something to do with that. Yes, the soil of our hearts is our responsibility. But as a farmer knows... There's certain ground preparation you need to do if you want your seed to germinate. You know, Of course, that has to do with the Lord, has to do with the Holy Spirit, but we don't have to hurt matters, I don't think. I think we can help and be a part of that. I think Jesus was very good at prepping the soil before he put his word in, uh, and it was received. And so the word there, so stand, isn't like, so because of everything we said, make sure you stand. It's, it's, it's a different kind of, tense of the, sense of the word. It's so stand, like what we've talked about, so stand. I want you to stand like what we've read. We're, it's important. We don't sit. We don't lie down. We don't, we don't mourn. We, don't, we, don't, we stand. The world needs solid standing Christians. It's so important. 
um, before I came up, became a pastor, before I was called or sent out, maybe I was called, but in my training time, I was told that if you're not there, it's difficult to take your congregation there or the people that are there to hear you there. You need to be there first as a pastor. I can't not stand and expect everyone in this fellowship to stand. It's not that I'm responsible for you, and it's not that, oh, what would we do without JD? I'm not saying that. I'm saying if I'm going to be an example, I've got to be standing firm in my foundation, in my faith. It has to be that way. My kids need to see me stand. My wife needs to see me stand. If they're going to listen to what I have to say, if they're going to say, does this work at all? It doesn't look like it's working for you. You're lying down. Every one of us is called to this, to stand in this world. Because the world doesn't want to hear another book or another philosophy or another idea of how to do life. They want to see it work. If it's not working in your life, why would I want to listen to you? You get that. And so Paul says, so stand. I want you to stand, Philippians. Not that they're not. He, you're beloved. I can't wait to see you again. I've longed for you. I long to see you all the time. He knows all that. It's just a reminder. You're my joy and my crown, so stand in the Lord, beloved. Now, he does all that groundwork, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, I believe for verse 2 here. I implore you, Judea, and I implore Syntyche, we don't really know how that's pronounced, but I think that's close. Or Syntyche. To be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These women were very important to Paul's ministry and to their own ministry. And the part that stuck out to me, besides them, you guys need to get along You need to be of the same mind, you know, the mind that I just shared with you, all the chapters I shared before. I need you two to really be of the same mind, this mind that I just shared with you. And I want the people around you to help you. Don't throw them under the bus. You know, there's a proverb that I, I grabbed onto because it's a funny proverb. I didn't, I didn't pull it out for today for a cross-reference, but I'll try to quote it the best I can. It's like, he who meddles in another man's quarrel is like taking a dog by the ears. In other words, you're going to get bit. And I said, that's it. I don't have to take anybody's quarrel on myself. I don't want to get bit. It's like taking a dog. Proverbs tells me so, and I can just walk away from that argument over there. Of course, then you read the other one, right, that says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And that's why I got to get involved. So, Lord, it looks like there's a contradiction in Scripture. No, I get, you got to work it out. You've got to work it out. Um, I would say the dog one has to do with just jumping into a fight and taking a side, you know, or it's none of your business, you know, kind of thing. One of those moments where you just jump in and feel like you're the, you know, the answers kind of thing. But there are other times when you're called into a situation where you need to be the peacemaker and try to help. And that's what Paul's doing here, this very thing. I want you to be a peacemaker. Help these two women get together. Look, there are, we have a problem in America, and David can probably attest to this. We have so many churches that when you're mad, you just walk over here and you never have to deal with that again. And then when you get mad here, you just go over here. And eventually, but eventually you're going to run out of places. 
you know? And that's when you go to your house and say, I, I don't need anybody. I can just worship by myself. And you never deal with any of the controversies that you've had in all the fellowships you've gone to. You just walk away. And as a body, he wants these two women. I know that you're having a problem. He's probably asking them in a not so not so detailed way. It's, it's implied. It's between the lines. Just go back. Are you of the same mind, the mind of Christ? That's where you start reconciling the problem. Do you both have the mind of Christ or has somehow pride crept in? Somehow, some way. Or do you have the mind of Christ? I want you to have the same mind. This is a choice. I just can't. I just can't. No, I implore you to be of the same mind. It's a command. and Well, imploring isn't really a command. It is said in such a way that this is a choice you need to make. You need to have the same mind. You can't say, I can't help myself. It's just beyond my control. No, you can have the same mind as long as you have the mind of Christ. You see, and if one of the women has the mind of Christ, they're going to be forgiving and gracious and merciful and, 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 and it won't bother them that they're being wronged. Even if only one side of this problem is, is doing it right. The other person could be over there proud with their arms crossed, mad, I'm going to be bitterness with. I'm going to have the mind of Christ. It still heals the situation. Both don't have to participate. You still do it and treat people the same way. Be kind to that person. Love them like Christ loves the church, even when the churches can be pretty rebellious sometimes. You still love them and you care for them and you treat them exactly the same as if there wasn't a problem. It's okay. I implore you to be of the same mind. Here's some scriptures I want to give you. I only have two. Romans 15, verses 4 through 6. For whatever things are written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant to you be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus. Not according to yourself. You don't have to agree to agree on a situation. You just have to both keep your eyes on Jesus and be like him in the situation, and it gets resolved every time. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the intent. That's the hope. Paul writes that to the Romans. I want you to have that like-mindedness. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 15 through 16 tells us, that we have this mind. But he who, who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? That's a quote. And here's the answer. But we have the mind of Christ. We've been given that. I've been given a new heart, and I've been given a new mind, the mind of Christ. It's a choice as to whether I obey the fleshy mind that I'm used to arguing with and dealing with and being towards other people, or Christ's mind on the matter. It's a decision I make. We think of walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit as, as you know, uh, do I drink a glass of water or do I drink a, a, a Starbucks, you know, kind of thing. I want to be fleshy or do I want to be healthy kind of thing. Nothing Starbucks is on. It's kind of unhealthy. It's so good, though. It's more than that. It's this very moment right here. This person is grating on me. I have a choice. Do I respond in the flesh? Do I go over scenarios in my mind? If they said this, I'd say this. Do I think about, you know, when I pray for them, how do I pray for them? 
Do I, do I pray for a pit or do I pray for healing and, and restoration and, and, and love? Do I pray for them, you know? How do I pray? How do I attack this situation in Christ's mind or in my own? Paul says we need to deal with it in Christ's mind. How, how's, how does Christ want us to do this? It's not what would Jesus do. It's what is the Spirit willing and wanting to do in my life, and I'm forbidding him to do that. I think that's important. He's ready and willing. I don't have to have a bracelet on my arm that reminds me I'm supposed to read some scriptures and do what the Bible tells me to do. The Holy Spirit dwells in you and wants to be like Christ all the time. The only time we're not is when we forbid him to do so in our life. So they're written in the Lamb's book of life with me. Help these fellow workers with me. And uh, I pray that this gets resolved is the idea. Verse 4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, we know that from songs, right? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And you do that a lot in that song, by the way. Rejoice. Okay, I'll stop. Uh, <laughs> it's a great song, uh, but it can almost numb us to the truth. You, that's a command. There's an exclamation point. He says it twice. Why does he say it? He doesn't say it to, hey, by the way, when you can, when you feel up to it, when it's convenient, be sure and rejoice. You know, when you have those good days. It's not what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul is writing from prison. Might not see the light of day again. And he's rejoicing in the Philippians. He's finding things to rejoice in. He's purposing in his heart to rejoice. These are decisions. Sometimes it's discipline. I hate that word. I do not, I'm not a disciplined person. I'm not very good. You put a, you put a box of donuts. Like sometimes you, I'm really good when someone's watching. Like on Sunday morning, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not doing the sugar and the carb. But you guys leave those things out, and I come in on Monday morning to grab copies or to do something when no one's around, and there's those donuts there, and none of my family's there to... I might eat two or three, and no one will know the difference, you know? And as far as they're concerned, I'm still on my diet. That's horrible discipline. I don't like the word. I have to choose. There's so much of that. So much of our walk with Jesus is just a choice. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I'm going, it's almost Paul's talking himself into it, psyching himself up for it. He's in prison. He's in chains. He's... Praise the Lord. That's not like positive confession trying to make jail better. He's saying, no, there are things to be, it is praiseworthy to be in jail for Jesus Christ. Jail isn't fun. The food's horrible. Too many maggots and rats. I might die. The guards aren't friendly. But I'm here for a good reason. And I rejoice in that, that I found myself worthy or God finds me worthy to suffer like the sufferings of Christ. I rejoice in that. That's exciting to me. Not physically, not fleshly, but spiritually. It's a command. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. I think those two go together. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
We need to reverse engineer that, I think. If you want your heart your, and, and your mind guarded, you've got to make your prayers and requests be made known to God so that his peace can come upon you. These things are for you. I'm amazed at how much controversy forgiveness has been in our fellowship, to be honest with you. Forgiveness. I don't know about that forgiveness thing. What do you mean you don't know? I'm not saying everybody. Um, there aren't steps to it. When he says, I want you to forgive others like I forgave you, there were no steps for us to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There was nothing I had to work out. There was nothing I had to wait for him to get over about me. His forgiveness is ready, willing, and able. The moment I ask for it, I can receive that forgiveness. I need to be like that for other people. My forgiveness should have no hoops. There's nothing, no hurdles. There's no steps. Now, I think maybe we misunderstand forgiveness with forgetting and healing. But your healing can't start until you forgive. It doesn't. Your healing does not start until you forgive. It's a bitterness and it's an open wound and it's just getting harder and harder. You have to forgive first to purpose. Your feelings will follow. But we're not, we're not called to, as soon as you feel up to it, forgive no, it's forgive first. And, and this goes along with this. The reason I'm jumping on this is because if I want my heart and mind guarded, I have to make my request be made known to God so that I'm anxious for nothing so that the peace of God can come over me. If I want healing to take place in my life, I have to do what he told me to do first, forgive, and then he can begin to heal me of the thing that I'm forgiving them for. He doesn't tell us to forgive because he thinks that's just what good Christians do. And you're not a very good Christian if you don't do that. No, he's saying, no, I, it's a, he's a physician. He's a doctor. There are things we have to do. You know, we've got a, a message from Alice whose daughter had to go in for an appen, uh, you know, appendectomy down in Florida. And, and the doctor doesn't say, now, when you're feeling up to it, come in for surgery. Well, I'm not feeling up to it. I can barely stand up. I'm buckled over, pain on the rough, waves of pain going through me. No, get your rear in here. We got to get that thing out of there now before it bursts and the infection spreads. You know, I don't care if you feel up to it or not. Drag her in here. We're cutting her open and getting that thing out of there as fast as we can. Because we want the healing to begin. We want the pain to stop. We want the infection to not spread to the rest of the body. Forgiveness is first. Feelings, healing, that comes afterwards. Anyway, be anxious for nothing. Paul's telling the Philippians while he's in jail. See, he put, he's in a perfect position to talk about that. Well, Paul, you don't know what I... Oh, you're in jail. You know, if anybody should be anxious right now because you're going to lose your head by Nero because he's nuts, which we wasn't at the time, but as soon as he rejects the gospel of Paul, that Paul shares with them that he gets nuts because he's rejected it. Still. A very precarious situation. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Paul was at such perfect peace in jail that he's not afraid to say the right things in front of Nero when he's standing in the court. He's going to say the, you know what I mean, the right way to get out of this. What does Nero want to hear? He's going to say the right thing according to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he's already prayed for it. He's not anxious about it. You can kill me. 
or you can let me go. But either way, you're hearing the gospel today because that's what my king wants me to do. He's prepped. He's prepared. He says, you guys need to do the same thing. All of us do. That guards your hearts and your minds. Very important. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I know every time I say that verse or anytime any pastor or anybody reads that verse, there's always the, oh yeah, well, I've got some things. How can this that's happened to them be worked out for good? Anything in God's hands, if it's given to him, no matter what the pain, no matter what the hurt, and I mean no matter what, can be used for good. And here's how I stand on that. Because God said so. When you come up to me and tell me and argue with me about, well, what about this scenario? What about that? You're asking me, do you believe God's word completely or do you believe God's word partially? You're asking the wrong person. I believe God's word completely and totally. I believe absolutely everything can be worked out because I've seen and I know stories of people who have gone through the things you're talking about. Yes, some people don't give it to Christ. Some people don't work it out through Christianity and through their relationship with God and let the Holy Spirit hear them. And they are miserable and they are hurting. And I understand that's the person you're talking about. But the person who went through the exact same situation, I don't care if it's rape, if it's abortion, if it's whatever it is that they've gone through, and they're over here and they've dealt with it with Jesus Christ, they have a story, they have a testimony, and it's changing other people's lives. God works it out for good. It does it every time. God is faithful. When he says something to us, I have to believe him first before I can let it work in my life. If I'm still arguing as to whether this passage is going to be effective in this situation in my life, as if I'm some, I've got some sort of strange scenario that's never been dealt with before, it can never be effective because I haven't received the word of God with gladness, which we'll get to. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Every believer is. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, and this isn't really where he ends, but it's close. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Very clear command. Very clear. There's your list that we love, you know. God wants us to dwell on those things. He wants us to search for those things. Can you find anything? I, I like the way he words that second, that second part of that sentence. If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy. I don't know if this is some deep understanding or not, but it was, it was, a, it was a rumble strip for me. It caused me to get back to the center of the road. I still gauge people by what they do. I think we all do. Don't tell me, show me, right? If I've had too many experiences where people tell me and then don't, it's really hard for me. It, really, it just is. 
to, to either give them another chance or to even believe them the next time they say it. And, and I don't know that that's wrong. I think you need to be, you know, okay, we'll see if this is true this time. I understand that. If I want that person, whoever that person is in our fellowship or anywhere I meet, if I want them to grow into Christ, if I want to help that process along, I know that he does the growing, but I water and I plant and I, you know, we all have our part in people's lives. I've got to water and take care of the good parts of that person and I have to dwell on those things. I have to meditate on those things about that person. There might be a lot of problems There might be a lot of things that aren't meditate worthy in their lives, but that's not what God calls me to focus on in their lives. He calls me to focus, find the light, find anything good in them that they do is right. You know, boy, they're on time. They don't do anything when they get here, but boy, they're on time. Hey, okay, punctuality. I'm going to, I'm going to meditate on that. You know, that's a good thing. I'm so glad you showed up on time. I'm so glad that you, you focus on those things. Whether that's a relative, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a kid, whether that's a parent, there may be so many things not good about the person, whoever it is. But when you meditate and dwell on those things, it just gets darker and darker. When you keep bringing those things up to that person, that just pushes them further and further. We got to water the good parts of people. Got to water that. Paul is saying, look, and it's it's no dis. I mean, it's. It's for Yudi and, 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 and whatever her name is, Sintaiki, you know. Would you guys, you two ladies, instead of talking about and thinking about the disagreement, can you guys focus on what's true, on what's noble, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, what's good, what's of a good report? If there's any virtue at all in that other woman, can you do that? Well, I guess so. She does have nice hair. I don't know. That's terrible. It's got to be deeper than that. She, she, does always, she does always say hi. She is very joyful. She does always, say, not at me, but she's joyful for everybody else, or whatever it is, you know. Then focus on those things, then meditate on those things. And I like that he uses the word meditate. We get so freaked out because of new age, you know. No meditation. We're not doing any crystals, and we're not doing any tarot cards, and any of that meditation garbage. No, we're called to meditate, focus on, spend time thinking about Getting lost in our thoughts, if that's what you want to call meditation, on these things. True, noble, just, pure, good, lovely, anything of a good report. That's what I want to get lost in my thoughts. And it's not just for people. That's just for our own health. You know, you'll see that almost in every five good habits of an effective CEO or whatever they are. And there's a lot of them out there. But every one of them says the first, you know, 30 minutes of your day, you need to meditate. And of course, they have the whole you know, lotus position thing. That's worthless. Spend 30 minutes in the scriptures. Spend 30 minutes meditating on the goodness of God. It doesn't even have to scripture. You don't have to read. You know, I don't want to read in the morning. Don't. Just lay there and think about the goodness of God or the goodness of somebody. Not, not that they're God, but I'm so grateful to God that you've brought this person into my life. And I'm so thankful for that person. And, and the, the, that attribute that they bring into my life is such a blessing. You know, meditate on those things. Oh, you wake up, you get out of bed, you come into first contact with the person. If you're married, that's going to be your spouse. If you're not married, it's going to be your employer or whatever it is or, or, or your kids or whatever it may be. Your first contact with them has you've spent 30 minutes time well spent and it's going to be a good encounter with them. 
you know? I, I just want to take some of the mysticism out of this because there's practical application for these things. God doesn't tell us to do these things for no reason. It's because that's how we're going to interact with other people. That's how we spread the gospel with love. That's how we get over situations where we argue with people as we meditate on the good things and we, and we work those things out and we have the same mind of Christ. These things are very practical. So I've got several scriptures on this that we need to go over. Three of them. I guess that's not several. Hebrews 4.2 For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now, I'm, what I'm focusing on here, that these scriptures, is on this part. Verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw. So I saw the example. I heard you preach it. I learned it. It got into my head but I received it. That's the big thing. Receiving the things that Paul taught. Because this is what happens in Hebrews 4.2, for indeed the gospel, the good news, the message was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. In other words, they didn't believe it. And that way it didn't, it wasn't effective in their lives. Tonight, these, these words can be cutting, they can be encouraging, they can be corrective, whatever, however they're being presented to you by the Holy Spirit. If they're received with gladness, they're going to be effective in your life. If they're, I don't know about all that, I just, I refuse to hear this again. Then it's not. It's hard soil. And it bounces, and it doesn't germinate. And James one twenty one. Our good brother, James, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That's pretty blunt. I just love that about him. Look, get rid of the sin. You know, and I, and I don't want to put tone in it, but it's hard not to. But James is just, get rid of the filthiness and the overflow of wickedness in your life. Accept it. <laughs> Hear the word of God that has for you. Receive it into your heart and it's going to bear fruit. You know, it's, it's going to save your soul if you receive it with meekness. These are things you've got to do. When you're so new in the Lord and you're open to everything he has and every scripture is a brand new, oh my goodness, I had no idea. That was so wonderful. Have, and you show it to people. Have you ever read that? This is the greatest thing. Have I have. I've read it several times. Isn't it amazing? I just love it. You know, yeah, it's great. It's great. I know. I know, you know. They've received it. They're excited about it, you know. I'm changed. I'm going to be different tomorrow. I had no idea I was supposed to do that. Starting now, I'm doing it. That's great. Every time, receive God's word. All of it is for us. It's not just meant for us to suffer. Some people read it that way. Oh, yeah, I've got to forgive. Suffer in silence, I guess. No, no, no. That's, That's how you get better. That's how you stop thinking about it. It's how you stop letting it control your life and every action because you don't realize how much it affects everything that you do and how you interact with everybody else around you. Just receive it. And Mark chapter 4, verse 20. But these are the ones sown on good ground. This is the parable of the sower. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. It's fruit. Make no mistake, and I don't mean to turn this into something other than it's not, but God is, God is expecting fruit from us. 
I mean, it's, there's a couple of parables that are pretty rough about trees that don't bear fruit. You know, he's expecting fruit from us. And it's not like, oh boy, then I better get some fruit going here. No, he's just expecting you to believe him when he says stuff. That's not unreasonable. When the God of the universe, the creator of all things, says something, he just wants us to believe it and not debate it and not think about it. I mean, he wants you to think about it, but don't think about it too long. I mean, get it into your hearts and just just do it. He doesn't understand, I mean, he does, why you wouldn't, you know. And I don't understand why I don't. Let's put it that way. Maybe that's a better way to put it. I don't know what my problem is. What is it about God's word that's difficult? That just sticks in my craw. Why? Why does that bother me? Well, because it goes against, well, it goes against me, you know. If he's conforming me into the image of Christ, I best expect a little pressure with some thumbs of my maker pushing that clay in a little bit. He's changing me. I need to be soft and pliable and let him. Verse 10. He talks about giving here. He's prepping them for the generosity. Remember, the two things he wants to discuss here is the two ladies that are arguing, but also the gift that they sent through their, to, uh, through their brother here. Um, and he's going to talk about that here. But, he says, all that aside, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. It means this has happened before. But I'm so excited that here I am in prison and you sent this gift to me. Though you surely did care, I knew you did, but lacked the opportunity. So this is just the first opportunity you've got a chance to send this gift to me. I just so appreciated it and I'm so glad it's happening again. Now, he's glad for a different reason, you know. Finally, my stimulus checks come, you know. (laughs) That's all he's thinking about here. He's excited to see that that heart is still there in them. Paul has a rough time. There aren't a whole lot of people that he's ministered to that are still on board with him. In fact, he tells them, there's no one that I can send to you of like mind except Timothy. So when he received the skip from the Philippians, a church that he planted, along with many other churches, but they're the only ones caring for him. Wow, I don't care about the money. It's, it truly is the thought that matters to him. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if you have that last part of that verse somewhere in your house, be sure and tack on the first part, verse 12 to it also. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And those things are, I can learn how to be full and be hungry, abound and suffer need. I can do those things in Christ. You know, not I can conquer all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's I can put up with, I can stay even. My relationship with God stays the same, regardless of whether I've got a lot or have nothing. Makes no difference. It's a hard issue for Paul. I didn't say thank you or I'm excited for this gift because I need it. I've learned how to do all that. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, he tells the folks, the Ephesians, um, in the book of Acts. I don't count my life dear to myself. It doesn't make any difference. If I'm hungry, if I'm fat and full, it makes no difference. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress 
Paul counts that as, as a teacher. That is a graduation level event for these folks. You didn't look away from me like everybody else. You, I wasn't out of, put out of mind. One of the things, and this is a little side note, I've got some time. At funerals, how quickly people stop talking about the person who's actually dead. I mean, no offense, and I, maybe it is hard to carry on hours worth of conversations about the person that died, like at the reception or whatever that takes place afterwards. But it's amazing when you sneak into little groups and conversations, how they're talking about mortgage rates and all sorts of their golf game or whatever. I understand it. I get it. I'm just saying, Paul is very happy that he's not just out of sight, out of mind in their lives. You know, They're so attached to him. They have so much love for him. They're keeping up on his whereabouts and how he's doing. We heard that you were in prison. We sent this gift to you. They didn't have to. But they're keeping up on that. They didn't read about it in the paper. Oh, look who died. It's Bob. I knew Bob. Didn't we know Bob? Bob, yeah. And we should go to that. We should go to that uh, visitation. These people were involved, and they're the only ones that are keeping track of Paul at this time. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You funded me. This gets uncomfortable for some people. Please don't. Money is the second most talked about subject from Jesus. First is hell. Second was money. It was a big deal. Here's why. Because it has such a grip on us. And God is here to set us free from those grips in our lives. It should not be that way. I want you to be free. I want you to be generous like I'm generous. And it's not about giving to Calvary. I'm not going to pass a hat or anything like that. It's very difficult sometimes for me to teach these things because it sounds self-serving. And I don't mean it to be that way. It's just what Paul is saying. No one funded me on my mission trip but you. That's amazing. Of all the churches, you're the ones that helped me get from place to place. Not that I seek the gift, he says. Well, verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. In other words, the Thessalonians weren't taking care of me, but you took care of me while I took care of the Thessalonians. They saw fit to be a part of Paul's ministry by funding him going and doing those things. So important. Not that I seek the gift. It's not about the money, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. That's very important to be in that place in your walk where you say, I want to support that ministry. I don't want to tip that ministry. Yeah, here's a fiver. That was a good sermon, Pastor. <laughs> no. I want to make sure. I want to make we 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 are we believe so strongly in this ministry of yours, Paul. And Paul says, I knew that. I felt that. I showed up. I can't believe these guys. This Philippians. Unbelievable. This is, I don't have to make tents. I can go right on. I get beat again and I can lick my wounds. I don't have to make tents. You know, thank you. This is going to pay Luke. No, Luke probably didn't charge him. Doc, Luke was a doctor, if you didn't know. He's a physician. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I'm so glad. There is fruit that's attached to that gift to me. 
You participate in my ministry by making this ministry possible. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul's talking about a different kind of full, isn't he? That's it. I've had a lot of biscuits and gravy since you sent that money. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about my heart is absolutely full. And when you're in a dark place like prison, there's nothing like getting a letter or getting somebody who's thinking about you. You know, so important. I remember getting, and it wasn't necessarily prison. It was camp. Felt like prison. How rough was my life, right? I remember in camp. Yeah. But I get my letter from my parents or some from somebody because I was there for a couple weeks or whatever, and I was homesick. I hated camp. Hated every minute of it. So fun. It was great. Had everything you'd ever want. Didn't want to do nothing but go home. Hated being away from my parents. Hated it. Um, get that letter, and it's like, oh, the rest of the day was great because I got that letter. This would mean so much. But, okay. I've got time. I'm not over time at all. And we've got only a few verses here. I'm taking every single bit of it if I can tonight. When God, by the Holy Spirit, brings someone up in your mind, do it. Write them a letter, call them, text them even. Do something. There's a reason for it. And when they get that, you're fulfilling what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He can do that himself. He can minister to those people. He doesn't need us to participate. He can be the Holy Spirit and make their heart full, but he wants other people. This is, Paul, Paul could have been taken care of by God and was most of the time, except here. Did, did he need it? He says, no, I didn't need it. Did God need the Philippians' help? Of course not. But was it a beautiful moment? Absolutely. What did it cost him? You know? to make Paul's day in prison to the point where, let me write this letter to you. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all, I'm abounding. I'm full having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice is well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. I gets excited because he's not really done, but he, he's so blessed, you know. I have a lot of verses about this. Let me read through them quickly. It's a principle of the matter. To support someone else's ministry is not to, it's, it's as if you're there with them, God says. Okay? 1 Samuel 30, verses 21 through 25 is the first time it was an idea of David's and he did it, but then he codified it in the law. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor. They're in a raging battle. The guys are exhausted. I can't go a step further. We can't do it. David says, you guys stay. God's given us the victory anyway. He goes over with whoever can. They have victory. They take the spoil. They come back, and there's the 200 guys leaning back there going, oh, glad you guys made it back. I couldn't have done it. Then he says this, so they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men who, who, who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, 
We will not give them any of the spoil that we have received except for every man's wife and children. We'll give them back to them, but they don't get any of the money that they may lead them away and depart. Shame, 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 you know, because you didn't come and do. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us who has preserved us and delivered into our hands the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part who stayed by the supplies. They shall share alike. And so it was. From that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. It's a good idea, Dave. And he says, you know, we're going to make it a law too. We're not going to have this conversation again. Those guys who stayed in the rear with the gear and supported us from back here, they get the same and equal share. We're not going to do that. Every time we support a missionary, every time we support a ministry period, I don't care where it is, you partake in that ministry by your provision for them. You get that fruit to your account. They may be doing the work, it seems like, and all you're doing is giving money. But without that, you make the ministry possible. And so you get accounted. It's accounted to you. Gaius in 3 John. Okay? That's not a book we read very often, right? 3 John, where's that? Clear back by Revelation. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we would become fellow workers for the truth. He's talking about a man named Gaius. You know what Gaius' ministry was? He was rich. He had money. And when the ministry guys would come by and they'd stop and say, come on in and not just give them a, you know, three hots and a cot, you know, stay a day. He said, by the way, you don't have to find a job all the way to the next place. He gave them enough money that they can make it all the way to the next town and not take any money from Gentiles. They were on God's errand and he thought, saw fit. It's my job to make sure you get there. I got it. You can have it, you know, and no, keep in mind, he had it. Some of you are like, I don't have two pennies to rub together after all my bills are paid. It's not what he's talking about. He's not saying get your credit cards out. Not at all. Gaius had it. That was his ministry. What kind of ministry is that? <laughs> really important one for the guy who doesn't have to work now and he can get all the way there and just share the gospel and it's hard enough. Matthew chapter 10, verses 41 through 42. Now, this subject is throughout scripture, so I only gave you a few of these passages. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. It's as if you were a prophet when you receive him. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. A cup of cold water. God's paying attention to that. To that, you know. 1 Timothy 5.18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. It's okay. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And that's one of those scriptures that actually borders on trust God. He'll take care of your problems. 
don't make God last. You know, make him first. Proverbs eleven twenty five. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. That goes with the word and spiritual things also, but it doesn't, it doesn't exclude money. It's part of it. 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It's important that these guys get taken care of. It's important that they see that. The Philippians saw Paul, I mean the master teacher, right? He's in jail. What can we do to aid him? What can we do to help him? What can we do to further the gospel, you know? Send him a gift. He could probably use a coat. He could probably, their kind of prisons were different. If you wanted to eat, someone from the outside had to bring you the food. Otherwise, you got prison food, which was not, I mean, not even edible. Yeah, bread and water, maybe, and maggots for protein kind of thing, if you wanted some. And so someone would have to come, you know. Paul's always in, hey, don't forget my coat when you come. Don't forget the scrolls. Bring those things to me. You could have that kind of interaction. You want them to eat, you got to bring your own food. These folks truly blessed him. It's a sweet-smelling aroma. Now we conclude. Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are the, of the Caesar's household. What? He's saving everybody in Caesar's household. I can't wait for Paul to get out. Paul's like, yeah, I'm not ready to get out yet. There's some unsaved people around me. That's how Paul saw it. He could count it all joy. He could rejoice anywhere. Ooh, ooh, fresh meat, you know. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. And I pray the grace of God would be with you guys also. I pray that we receive this tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the... Such a blessing. It's so refreshing. I just feel like I've taken a giant breath of mountain fresh air, Lord. Your word is so good. Thanks for bringing us back to the center where we need to be, getting us back on track tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we pray for this Sunday, Lord, as David Spencer shares with us about his ministry in Africa. This couldn't be more timely, Lord. And I just thank you for the, your, your perfect purposes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.